Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 43, and here it is dramatized in the New King James Version for your listening edification. Then it happened as they emptied their sacks that surprisingly, each man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And you want to take Benjamin. All these things are against me. Then Reuben spoke to his father. Kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands, and I will bring him back to you. My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is left alone. If any calamity should befall him along the way in which you go, then you would bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. Now the famine was severe in the land. And it came to pass, when they had eaten up the grain which they had brought from Egypt, that their father said to them, Go back, buy us a little food. But Judah spoke to him, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face, unless your brother is with you. If you send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Why did you deal so wrongfully with me as to tell the man whether you had still another brother? The man asked us pointedly about ourselves and our family, saying, Is your father still alive? Have you another brother? And we told him according to these words. Could we possibly have known that he would say, Bring your brother down? Then Judah said to Israel, his father, Send the lad with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I myself will be surety for him. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. For if we had not lingered, surely by now we would have returned the second time. If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the best fruits of the land in your vessels and carry down a present for the man. A little balm and a little honey, spices and myrrh, pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double money in your hand, and take back in your hand the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take your brother also, and arise. Go back to the man. And may God Almighty give you mercy before the man, that he may release your other brother and Benjamin. If I am bereaved, I am bereaved. So the men took that present and Benjamin. And they took double money in their hand, and arose, and went down to Egypt, and they stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, 
Take these men to my home, and slaughter an animal, and make ready, for these men will dine with me at noon. Then the man did as Joseph ordered, and the man brought the men into Joseph's house. Now the men were afraid, because they were brought into Joseph's house. It is because of the money, which was returned in our sacks the first time, that we are brought in, so that he may make a case against us and seize us, to take us as slaves with our donkeys. When they drew near to the steward of Joseph's house, they talked with him at the door of the house. Oh, sir, we indeed came down the first time to buy food, but it happened when we came to the encampment that we opened our sacks, and there each man's money was in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. So we have brought it back in our hand. And we have brought down other money in our hands to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. Peace be with you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. So the man brought the men into Joseph's house and gave them water, and they washed their feet, and he gave their donkeys feed. Then they made the present ready for Joseph's coming at noon, for they heard that they would eat bread there. And when Joseph came home, they brought him the present, which was in their hand, into the house, and bowed down before him to the earth. Then he asked them about their well-being. Is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? Your servant, our father, is in good health. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads down and prostrated themselves. Then he lifted his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son. Is this your younger brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. Now his heart yearned for his brother. So Joseph made haste and sought somewhere to weep. And he went into his chamber and wept there. And he washed his face and came out, and he restrained himself. Serve the bread. So they set him a place by himself, and them by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat food with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked in astonishment at one another. Then he took servings to them from before him. But Benjamin's serving was five times as much as any of theirs. So they drank and were merry with him. Story of a dysfunctional family through whom the Son of God was sent centuries later. We don't look down our noses at them because this family is much like ours. Deception, lying, betrayal, unhealed hurt, unforgiveness, and bitterness. Fear, anxiety, 
these men had suffered for years. When their younger brother was 17 years old, they plotted to kill him. The older brother didn't want that to happen, so he persuaded them to throw him in a pit, hoping to come back later and rescue him and send him back home to dad. And to save him, his other brother Judah, who turns out to be a hero in the story in the long run, this is horrible, persuaded them to sell him into slavery. And they sold their 17-year-old brother into slavery, and he, with a slave spice trader caravan, went to Egypt. Thirteen years later, he's 30 years old, and through interpreting the dream for Pharaoh, he is second in command to Pharaoh. Prophetically, Pharaoh had seen in a dream something he didn't understand, and the interpretation was Egypt was about to enter into seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine that would impact that whole part of the world. And Joseph recommended that since this was revealed to Pharaoh, that Pharaoh institute a program of saving 20% of the crops of Egypt during these years of plenty each year. And here we are, he was 30, and now it's two years after the years of plenty, uh, seven years plus nine, so he is now 39 years old, and here comes his brothers who are impacted by the famine. He recognizes them, and like he had dreamed as a young boy, his brothers were bowing down to him, begging for food. So he wanted to see where their hearts were, so he began to accuse them of being spies. Perhaps they had accused him of being that for their dad. He was a tattletale in his younger days. And they said, no, we're honest men. Now Joseph spoke to them in Egyptian through an interpreter. They did not recognize him. He was clean-shaven. He looked like an Egyptian. He was lord of the land, second only to Pharaoh. And they began to beg for mercy and said, listen, we're ten brothers. We have another brother at home, and we've already lost a brother. And our father's still alive. We're the real deal. He said, well, to prove it, do not come back here without the little brother, or I will not even look at you. So they go home, and they tell Dad the story that he accused them of being spies, and that they sang like canaries. Oh, we're not spies. There's 10 of us, but we have a younger brother at home and one who is no more. And he will not see us unless we go back with our little brother. In the meantime, before they went back home to Dad, he let them sit in jail for three days. <laughs> Gave them a little taste of that. And then he kept Simeon incarcerated, the second-born brother. He saw them blaming each other for their troubles that they were having with him for, because of what they had done with their younger brother. And he wept. It touched his heart to see that they did have some guilt. The problem is these brothers suffered with guilt. You ever made such a mess? You feel guilty? Who's going to clean it up? They didn't know how to clean this thing up. They sold their brother into slavery. They considered him dead. They let their dad believe he was dead. And so now they go home with da to dad with the bad news that, hey, little brother's got to go. Well, dad kept little brother close. His name was Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. He coddled him. He probably was crippling him emotionally, so afraid something would happen to him like happened to Joseph. 
his father Jacob had four wives, and the favorite wife, Rachel, was the mother of Joseph and Benjamin. And of course, they were his favorite boys. And so Joseph is no more. I'm afraid something's going to happen to Benjamin. So when they come home and tell dad this story, he says, no ways, it ain't going to happen. Well, it wasn't long till they ran out of food. And he said, hey, could you boys go back to Egypt and get some more food? They says, we already told you, Dad, we can't go back without the little brother. And he said this in verse 4, why did you deal so wrongfully with me as to tell the man whether you still had another brother? Why did you have to tell him, you nitwits? And so they span a yarn. The man asked us pointedly about ourselves and our family, and if we had another brother. Is your dad alive? Do you have another brother? So they put another spin on the story here. He actually lied. And Jacob is getting up in years, and he wasn't sharp enough probably to catch him at it. But Judah went to bat for the family. He said, listen, you can hold me personally responsible. Now, he knows what it's like to lose a son. He had three boys. His two eldest, Ur and Onan, had died. So Judah had walked through the heartbreak of losing his son. And here he is putting his neck on the line. Unlike his older brother, Reuben, like an idiot, said, well, if we don't bring Benjamin back, you can kill my two boys. Like, that's going to fix anything. You know, yeah, I'm going to kill my two grandkids because I'm sad about losing another child. <laughs> People under pressure don't think clearly. And so uh, Judah says, you can hold me personally responsible. I'm going to put my life on the line if we don't bring him back safely. So Jacob relented. And he said in verse 11, if it must be so, then do this. Take some of the best fruits of the land in your vessels. Load up your backpacks. Carry down a present for the man, a little balm, a little honey, spices and myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Doesn't that sound good right now? <laughs> and he said, may God Almighty, verse 14, and may God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may release your other brother. Oh, he is concerned about Simeon. <laughs> And Benjamin, if I am bereaved, I am bereaved. He surrenders, having heard Judah's reasoning. Judah said, Dad, this thing could have already been done. We'd already be back, but we waited, we waited, we waited. Now we're in danger of starving. Please, let's do this. You can hold me responsible. Judah was in touch with his own wickedness, maybe more so than the other brothers, because of his experience with his daughter-in-law, which is a whole other story. But he mans up and begins to take responsibility for the family. He's showing himself worthy of birthright. Reuben had messed up royally earlier. So they go. Joseph sees them, sees the younger brother with them, and has his steward invite them to the house for lunch, as well as to kill an animal for it. So they're going to have a barbecue at Joseph's palace. Now they're really nervous. He's setting us up. Because the last time we came to buy food, our money appeared in our bags. 
somebody's being tricky here. Now, when you're a deceptive person, it's real easy to think that everybody else is being deceptive, right? If you're somebody to be feared, guess what? You're going to have some things to fear yourself. Because everything is jaded by your own character. It impacts how you see things. And the steward said this to him, and to me this is the crux of the matter. He said, peace to you, be not afraid. He said, shalom. Shalom to you, be not afraid. The word shalom is a wish for well-being. It's a pronouncing of blessing. Of, of wholeness, of completeness, of, of peace that's not based on some cheap compromise, but based on, on God's covenant love. So they have this meal. They give Joseph the present. They're seated at tables, and, and uh, before the meal, Joseph asks how they're doing, and he blesses his younger brother, has to leave the room because he's crying. He's, you know, he, he just wants to tell him everything, but He's going with this slow because he's got to see their hearts. He's got to see fruits of repentance. Verse 27 says, he asked them about their well-being. That word there is shalom. He asked, do you guys have shalom? And is your father well? Does your father have shalom? That's what he asked him in the original language. The old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? They said, yes, but the truth is they, these boys were not experiencing shalom. They were not walking in peace. I mean, they fought in front of Joseph the last time they came, and Reuben let them all have it. If you nitwits had let me rescue him, we wouldn't be here today. And now look at the mess that we're in. But Joseph, in his love, treated them like kings, but treated Benjamin extra special, fed him five times what he fed the others. And to mess with their minds, he prepared places for them at the table, had the steward do it, and seated them in their birth order. Now, these men are in their 40s. Um, you know, they all look the same age range, and uh, Benjamin obviously is the younger. He's in his early 30s, no doubt. And so he... Uh, it sets them in their own birth order and then really blesses Benjamin and maybe he's watching their reactions. They're going to fall prey to jealousy again. Are you jealous when somebody's more blessed than you are? Are we scorekeepers? Do we resent God because he blesses someone? Or do we rejoice that our brother's blessed? Obviously, he may not be able to eat all that much, and he may share some with you. The whole thing, jealousy in the family really has no place. Envy has no place in your life because it blinds you to the opportunities God has for you. It makes us unthankful, it makes us unreasonable, and it makes us filter out all information that contradicts what we're wanting to believe. That's what jealousy does. It's not good. Not good. Let's pray. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would speak to us from your word, 
today. Lord, help us to glean lessons from this story as we look at it as a whole. In Jesus' name, amen. I found this uh, artwork, isn't this awesome? The brothers are bowing down for him, and in the background is the dream. To me, this is the high point of the story. Joseph came home. There they are in his house, well taken care of. They've been given water to wash their feet. Their donkeys have been fed. They gave him the present which was in their hand, and they bowed down before him in the earth, and he asked them about their well-being, their shalom. And as your father, well, the old man of whom you spoke, is he alive? Do you have shalom? Does your dad have shalom? They said, your servant, our father, is in good health. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads down and prostrated themselves. He's not having shalom right then, but he's going to. Oh, Jacob's happiest days are ahead. So, while it's not true at the moment, it's going to be true. He is in good health. He is still alive. And the day of reunion is going to happen. And they prostrated themselves. Notice they called him your servant, our father. In one of his dreams, the planets, the sun and the moon bowed down to him, which represented the family. And Jacob said, you mean your parents are going to bow down to you too? So here they are calling their dad his servant, recognizing the authority this man has been blessed with. I'd like to speak to you today on the subject, the way to knowing peace. But first of all, we got to talk about the way of no peace to knowing peace. First of all, the way of no peace, and then we'll talk about the way to knowing peace. The way of no peace. We have no peace whenever we are giving place to fear. Fear will rob you all your peace. What is the remedy to fear? Courage? You would think so, but really it's love. Perfect love casts out all fear. These boys did not have perfect love. I'm calling them boys or grown men. They did not have perfect love. They were raised at home with jealousy. Their moms were jealous of each other. It was, it was a mess. It happened as they emptied their sacks that surprisingly each man's bundle of money was in his sack. When they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. They knew they hadn't done it, but we're being set up. Why? Because they know all about the setup. They set their dad up to believe their, their brother was killed. We have no peace whenever we are thinking like victims. If you believe you're a victim, then you have no hope. If you believe it's always everybody else's fault, somebody else got in line, somebody this, somebody that. I had a sibling that came home declaring that somebody wet his pants. I'm a victim in a situation. <laughs> Jacob, their father, said to them, you have bereaved me. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. I mean, he just kissed off Simeon. He's dead. And you want to take Benjamin? These things are against me. I'm a victim because of what he believed. You know, what we believe determines how we feel. And if we believe lies, Jacob was believing lies. He'd been lied to. But you know what? 
It, it all comes from him. I mean, he reaped, he's reaping what he sowed. His father suffered because of his manipulativeness, and here he is suffering because of his son's manipulativeness. We have no peace whenever we are talking foolishly. I know what to do. We can kill my two sons if I don't bring him back to you. There's no peace in that. Just because there's empty space, just because there's a pregnant pause, doesn't mean we have to fill it with words. Just calm down. And let's cast all our cares on the Lord and pray, Lord, something's got to break. Something's got to break. <laughs> we have no peace whenever we're believing lies. We're back to that again. He said, my son shall not go with you, for his brother is dead and he's left alone. If any calamity should befall him along the way in which you go, then you should bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. That wasn't going to happen, but based on past pains, past lies that he was believing, it was real easy to believe a present lie. And we have no peace whenever we're being dishonest. Look at this. Israel said, why do you deal so wrongfully with me as to tell the man whether you had another brother? And here's their lie. The man asked us pointedly about ourselves and our family, saying, Is your father still alive? Have you another brother? And we told him according to these words. Could we possibly have known that he would say, Bring your brother down? The best lies are the one mixed with truth. The truth is, how could they know he would do this? But the lie is, he didn't say, Do you have a dad? Do you have another brother? He said, You're spies. And they said, no, we have a dad, we have another brother. Look at this. This is how it went down, chapter 42. Joseph remembered the dreams which he had, dreamed about them, and said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. They said to him, no, my Lord, but your servants have come to buy food. We are all one man's sons, and we are honest men. Your servants are not spies. But he said to them, no, but you have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said, your servants are 12 brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And in fact, the youngest is with our father today, and one is no more. That's what happened. And when they went home, that's what they told their dad. Then they went to Jacob, their father in the land of Canaan, and told him all that had happened to them, saying, the man who is Lord of the land spoke roughly to us, and took us for spies of the country. But we said to him, we're honest men, we're not spies. We're 12 brothers, sons of our father, and one is no more. And the youngest is with our father this day in the land of Canaan. So you see how they lied? No peace. Now, some of these things look like shortcuts to peace. If I'm honest, I'm not going to have peace. I'm going to have anxiety. I'm going to get grief. So I'm going to be dishonest. Well, if you have peace, it's a cheap peace. It's a short-lived peace. It's a shallow peace. It's not going to last long, and your conscience is going to bother you if you still have one. All right, enough of the negative. Now for the positive. We can know peace when someone, you thought I was going to say when we, 
We can know peace when someone is willing to purchase it for us. Someone's got to lay their life on the line. We can know peace when someone is willing to lay down their life. Judah said to Israel, his father, send the lad with me and we will arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I myself will be surety for him. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. No wonder the Messiah is going to come through this man's lineage. Does he have a perfect past? No. But he gets it. He gets it. We're called to lay down our lives for the sake. If he hadn't done this and they starved to death, there would be no Messiah because God made a promise to Abraham that through his seed the nations of the world would be blessed. So we can know peace when someone's willing to lay down their life. In the natural world, we have peace here in our country because the military is willing to lay down their life for us. Are they having peace? No, not on the battlefield. There's no peace there. But they're fighting battles for us to keep it from here. We can know peace when someone is willing to give generously. Their father Israel said, if it must be so, then do this. Take some of the best fruits of the land in your vessels and carry down a present for the man. A little balm, a little honey, spices and myrrh, pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double money in your hand. Take back in your hand the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take your brother also and arise and go back. And may God Almighty show you mercy. We can know peace when someone is willing to fully trust in God Almighty. And may God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may release your other brother, Simeon, and Benjamin. If I am bereaved, I am bereaved. He's casting his destiny into the hands of Almighty God. That's where peace comes when we do that. And Jacob, as head of the family, did it for the family so that peace could ultimately come. They're on a pathway to peace in the family. El Shaddai is one of God's names, and that's the name he used. And may El Shaddai give you mercy. El Shaddai means all-sufficient one, or Lord God Almighty. El means God. Shad means breast. Die means to spread. It literally means the mighty breasted one, the one who's all sufficient, the one who has the strength and the nourishment that we need as his people. This name was revealed by God to Abram the day his name was changed and the day the uh, covenant was sealed with circumcision. I am God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. We can know peace when someone is willing to forgive all our offenses. Joseph did this. 
He lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your younger brother of whom you spoke to me? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. You need it with brothers like you got. No, that's me putting a spin on it. The one brother that didn't betray him <laughs> touched his heart. And the fact that they cared about his well-being and didn't want to lose him. I'm getting ahead of myself in the story. really touched his heart. He saw there was a change of heart. Now his heart yearned for his brother. So Joseph made haste and sought somewhere to weep. And he went into his chamber and wept there. <laughs> this is so awesome and sad. I mean, it's bittersweet. It's, it's like... Twenty-two plus years. What a story. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to the birthright and the youngest according to his youth. So he set him in their birth order. And the men looked in astonishment at one another. How does he know? So they drank and made merry with him. The word there for merry means tipsy. They drank till they started getting drunk. Now, this is before the law. The Bible says there's not the knowledge of sin, all right? So this is before there was a law about drunkenness. But the point I want to draw out is Joseph is being generous with these guys who are not, who are not worthy of anything. They should have been out there with the donkeys. Here they are at the man's table, eating the best in a time of famine and drinking the best that Egypt had to offer. We're talking about the way of no peace and the way to knowing peace. This is Jesus. He laid down his life for us. He gave generously. He prayed, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And he trusted in his Father. At the end, when he said it is finished, he said, Father, into your hand I commend my spirit. He surrendered for us. Isn't that awesome? To totally forgive all our offenses. So the way to peace does not begin with what we do, but what we need done, that he has done, I used to have the cross up here. <laughs> it's out there in the foyer. What he's done for us on the cross. The cross has been glorified by the Christian culture for centuries, made to look like it's 50 foot tall, you know, way up there high in the movies, and we love all that because... The Lord is worthy of worship for what he did for us, right? But the truth is, he was hanging at street level, eye to eye with people who were spitting in his face. Shamed for us. Why? So that we could have peace. No Jesus, there's no peace. But if we know Jesus... 
we can know peace. I'm talking about real peace. Some people have minimized peace to meaning getting saved. That's wonderful. We have eternal peace, right? But what about your day-to-day life? Power for living now. Are you walking in peace? Do you realize the Lord loves the people you can't stand just as much as he loves you? And if he wants to give them one serving of food and you five, or you one serving of food and them five, that's his business. We're called to know his peace. Let it go. Acts chapter 10, Peter's preaching to the first Gentile believers. He said, the word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That word you know which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. The absence of peace is the devil's playground. And Jesus came not only healing broken bodies, not only casting out devils, but giving commands that if applied will bring peace to all your relationships. Bless those who curse you. Love those who despitefully use you. Walk extra with those that are making you do what you don't want to do. Ephesians 2 Paul, speaking of Jesus, said, He himself is our peace, who has made both one. He's talking about the division between the Jew, the Israelite, who had a covenant with God, and the Gentile who did not have one. But through Christ, through the new covenant that was promised in the old covenant, the first covenant, we have this great covenant. He himself is our peace, was wrought in his body, who's made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. The commandments of Moses separated the Israelites from the world because no Gentile was willing to give up his bacon. That was supposed to be a joke. I'm not making fun. That has separated them. Uh, if applied, it kept them healthy. I mean, the laws of quarantine, the world learned from that. But all that separated us from them. But the Lord abolished all that in his body on the tree. He came and gave commands that made the law of Moses a matter of the heart. Why? So that we could have peace. He is our peace. The peace is the someone. The peace isn't in our works. Why? Because we can mess up. We can foul up. Doesn't mean we don't need to grow up, but the point is the peace rests in the Lord. This is Louis Zimperini. He died in 2014 at the age of 97. He ran the 5,000 meter long distance run 
in Berlin at the Olympics in 1936. Came in eighth, but in the process set a record for one of the laps. So maybe he came in eighth because he just ran too fast on that one lap. I don't know. In 1941, he signed up for the United States Army Air Force, became a lieutenant, a bombardier, and on a rescue mission, his plane crashed in the Pacific Ocean. And for 47 days, he and a couple of his fellow Air Forcemen, for 47 days, they drifted afloat in a lifeboat till they were captured in the Solomon Islands by the Japanese army. Incarcerated for years, tortured, mistreated. In, uh, over the course of his incarceration as a prisoner of war, he was in two different prison camps. Terribly treated. Finally set free. Came home. Suffering with, we know now, with PTSD. Daily nightmares. so angry at his captors till the day he gave his life to the Lord and all that lifted. And he gave his life to ministry to at-risk youth, preaching the gospel of forgiveness. Watch this. He went through some terrible years where he was destroying his marriage, but Louis was saved by his wife's insistence that he go to see a sermon by Billy Graham, who at that time was a very young man, not very well known, but he was speaking in Los Angeles. Louis didn't want to go, but his wife was going to leave him. And he agreed on that basis to go see him speak. And he sat in the back of the audience and he was unhappy and he was sullen, but Graham spoke of things that resonated with Louis, with his experience about how God reaches into people's lives and helps them get through things that seem unsurvivable. I think all the prisoners had basically made the same prayer, get me home alive to my family, God, and I'll seek you, I'll serve you, and you make promises while you're under a dire situation. But uh, how many of them keep their promise? I didn't, and so my life fell apart. And it was at that moment that he made this realization to, to himself that he thought God had actually helped him through this and he owed God something and he realized what he needed to do. So I went forward in a meeting and made my confession of faith in Christ and I couldn't believe what happened. While I was still on my knees, my life changed in a matter of moments because I knew I was through getting drunk, and I knew that I forgave my guards, and I knew it was a miracle because I forgave the bird. And, and that was the first night. The first night in two and a half years, I didn't have a nightmare, and I haven't had one since. And Louis realized that God can forgive him for all the rotten things he did in his life that he ought to be able to forgive those that had done him wrong. So forgiving the guards and the bird uh, was actually salvation for him. It really turned him around in an instant. 
he decided he needed to test his forgiveness to see if he really had truly achieved it. And he went back to Japan to meet the guards who had, who had abused him so terribly. And he went to Sagama prison where they were all being held for war crimes. He went to every single one and looked him in the eye and told him that he forgave him for mm -hmm. the treatment that he received when he was a prisoner of war. He felt no animosity. He just felt compassion, and they couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe it. It was, it was a wonderful experience. He knew he had truly forgiven them. I think it's incredible that he forgave them. That's a lesson that he taught my father and me. By hating somebody, I'm not hurting them. I'm only hurting myself. You can forgive anybody. Forgiveness is always possible. Lord, we want to know peace. We're tired of having no peace. We want to know peace. <laughs> Lord, help us to lay down our judgmentalism, our opinions, and anything that keeps us from walking in the love that you have given Lord, we thank you for the amazing example of Joseph, Lord. Maybe the greatest hero of the Old Testament in terms of us not knowing anything bad about him. Lord, we just thank you for coming to earth as our Savior, coming through this promise made to Abraham to bless us. Thank you, Lord, as Gentiles we have been grafted in. Lord, I pray that we would walk in the fullness of of the joy and peace, the shalom peace that you promise in your pages, in the pages of your word. Lord, you promise my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. The world takes away its peace. The world can't maintain its peace. But Lord, through you we have eternal peace. And I pray, Lord, that every person in this room would walk in it. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here that does not really know the real you, I pray, Lord, you would set them on a quest of hungering and thirsting for righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen. Something has to break Something has to break Something has to break Right now
believe you lead me through it. I believe that you will do it right now. Something has to break. I believe you'll get me to it. I believe you lead me through it. I believe that you will do it right now. Something has to break. I believe you'll give me to it. I believe you lead me through it. I believe that you will do it right now. Something has to break. I believe you lead me through it. I believe that you can do it. I believe that you will do it right now. Something Offenses that you've taken up. You know, someone's offended you, that's hard to deal with. And, and in that case, the person who's wrong, you can come to you or you can go to them. But if you've taken up someone else's offense, that is a stronghold because that person's not going to come to you and you're not going to go to them. It's a hopeless mess. Let's break it right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray you bring to our remembrance every offense that we've taken up for somebody else. We surrender it to you right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Every mean thing we heard that somebody said about somebody else, we break it in Jesus' name. We do not have to hold any bitterness in our heart towards anybody. Every shred of prejudice towards any people group or any individual person, we let it go in Jesus' name. Lord, we ask you to clear the slate so that we can deal with our personal offenses in Jesus' name. Amen. Yvette had a word for the congregation. I'll relay it to you that if you have an offense towards someone or you know someone has an offense towards you, break bread with them. Break bread with them. Um, Joseph said it. Serve the bread. It's there in the text. Serve the bread. Do it. Lord, something's got to break in Jesus' name. This is the key to answered prayer. This is the key to healing. It's the key to peace. It's our part. He's done his part. Our part is to go and do likewise. Amen. Man, if you'd like to receive prayer, don't leave. We'll be up here at the front. But may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his shalom peace. May El Shaddai be strong in your behalf in Jesus' name. 
And may you at least start out by saying, Lord, forgive them. You know, that's what Jesus did on the cross. He prayed for his offenders. Pray for them. Ask the Lord to forgive them. And then you follow likewise. He'll give you the grace. Amen. I believe you'll get me to it. I believe you'll lead me through it. I believe you can do it right now. to encourage you that not only the area of forgiveness and releasing but where the Lord is taking us in revival where the Lord is taking each one of us to be his servants God's heart for us is for our hearts to be pure God's heart for us is to let go of everything that besets us so when we're singing this something has to break if there's something that God's bringing to your mind not even in the area of forgiveness, but other issues, other gods, other situations that the Lord is saying, it's time to let it go because where you're going, you can't take that stuff with you. With the revival that's coming to Granbury, the city of God, he wants our hearts to be completely set free. So just take time to deal with those things too. Thank you. Set the road. 